Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Zero Ducks Given. I am Toby Tarrant and I'm joined once again by Daniel Norcross and Stephen Finn. And if you're new to the podcast, we are a still pretty damn new cricketing podcast. Looking at the lighter, let's be honest, less boring side of cricket because it can be painfully dull in places and people can get far too sensitive and we can't be bothered to do all of that stuff. Daniel Norcross, by the way, who is sitting there, you should see how the proud look on his face. Because basically, he's been gloating about these seafood crepes that he made for a week now. Da- Daniel, just go on then. Talk us through your seafood crepes, which I'll be honest, my gut reaction to that is that they sound horrendous. Oh, well, that, that would be where you're entirely wrong. I mean, a lot of people <laughs> in lockdown, you know, they've learned Arabic or they've sort of embroidered a kitten onto their lapels or something ridiculous. Uh, but no, I have always had a hankering for seafood crepes. And the only time I ever have them as if I'm in a, you know, probably Brittany, Normandy, somewhere like that. I always go, bloody hell, why don't I make seafood crepes? And then I think it's going to be impossible. Turns out it's dead simple. You just find high-quality fish produce, poach it in garlicky milk, create a perfect Mornay sauce using Gruyere and aged gouda, mingle it all together into this most delicious unguent mixture, make a pancake, shove them in the oven, and you've got high-class top Egon Rone four-star grub. I tell you, I've never been more proud of myself in anything I've ever done. Sounds like a salmonella pancake to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have little faith. You bloody love them. I tell you, you did Moorish. lose me at garlicky milk. I'll be honest. That, that, that is two words that should never be put together as garlicky and milk. I mean, we've had some middle-class, uh, middle-class sentences said throughout this podcast in our short time together, but um, I've always had a hankering for seafood crepes is, is is a strong strong effort are you are you any good in the kitchen finney do you do the cooking uh it depends if you if you need beans on toast i'm probably your man or sometimes i stretch to those thomas the tank engine shapes that you can get if we're lucky for um the the local supermarket to have those but yeah anything 
anything overly extravagant is probably a little bit out of my remit. So, so yeah, I'll leave that to someone else. Important question on beans on toast because beans on toast on their own, absolutely rubbish. Do you adulterate it with a nice Dijon mustard, maybe a touch of brown sauce, a squirge of Tabasco? Absolutely not. Just a lot of butter on your bread and you're good to go, I think. I never used to be a chef until my missus and I moved into our flat a few years ago and I was like, do you know what? We've got a nice kitchen here. I'm going to get into it. I love it now. <laughs> it's great. You know, it's, it's, Showing it's your hard. age. Well, I know. I did think that. But so my, when me and my missus first ever got together, so my missus is a bit older than me. When we first got together, um, she said to me, she goes, now, I'm, I hate to break it to you, but you probably think one of the advantages of, of going out with an older lady is that, you know, I'm, I'm some sort of domestic goddess who's an amazing chef and, you know, always cleaning and stuff like that. She's like, I'm, I'm so untidy and I can't cook. And I was like, okay, well, I wish you'd mentioned this before we started getting serious. I would have maybe reconsidered. But uh, when we moved in together, I was like, well, I guess I'll do the cooking. And I bloody love it now. It's half an hour, 45 minutes an hour where you just don't think about anything else. You just focus on making your garlicky milk. Put on the Zero Ducks Given podcast and, and you're away. Also, before we started recording, Finney was uh, distracted because he had one eye on... Now, this is a year 2021 sentence. I mean, W.G. Graves will be turning in his grave. Finney was... Uh, oh, look, Finney's showing us it now on his screen. So I said, what's that sound, Finney? And he said, I'm watching Sam Billings on Twitch play FIFA. Now, Daniel Norcross will not know what about 80% of those words are. Nope. And th Daniel has a very <laughs> impressive vocabulary, but we lost him there. So, uh, so Finney, tell us about Twitch, because you get involved, don't you? And a lot of the England boys are doing it, I notice, as well. Stokesy's all over it. Seems to be a very 2020 slash 21 thing to think that people will be interested in watching you play video games. So, yeah, it's a streaming service where you basically play a video game and people watch you play this video game. And um, I know Sam Billings very well. We're very good friends. But his ability to keep his cool whilst he's playing FIFA, the computer game, is almost impossible. Um, and he does lose the plot quite frequently. So I tune in and watch him, hoping that he has a meltdown so that I can screen record it and then use it against him further down the line at some <laughs> stage. So, yeah, I'm keeping half an eye on him at the moment, watching him play whilst he's in quarantine in India because those guys got to India for the one-day leg of the series a couple of days ago. So they've got seven days quarantine. So... There's a lot of people, I'm seeing a lot of stories on Instagram of people making coffees, the view out of the hotel room window. I'm very, very frequented with that. Um, and then watching them play computer games at the same time. It's it's unbelievable, isn't it? The, the modern day cricketer. Um, unbelievable. They earn fortunes flying around the world, playing all these fancy tournaments. And all they want to do in their spare time is sit at home and play video games. I didn't think it was possible to find a lazier pastime than playing video games, but Watching other people play video games is the laziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And yet it's catching on, Daniel. We're in, we're in the wrong profession. Who's, who's really, really bad at it? I mean, yeah. Billings isn't fantastic, let's be honest. He, he talks himself up to be very good. And I think he spent a good proportion of his uh, Big Bash League fee on creating this team that he's using at the moment in in-game purchases. Uh, yeah, if he was a minor and he had his mum's credit card, I'd imagine she'd be quite disappointed with the amount that he spent on that. So 
Do you know what? He, he's not shocking, but I think he thinks he's better than he is, which is a terrible place to be for him. You've got to back yourself to start going, yeah, I'm going to stream this. People, you should all sit, all gather around and watch me play FIFA, everyone. You've got to back yourself a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll get him on at some point because I want to give him some stick about, I've, I've got a real pet peeve about people that spend money in games. It used to be when I was a kid, like, you know, I had Tetris on the Game Boy and I appreciate it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but you got good at Tetris by playing Tetris. There was no option of, or spend five pounds and get loads of extra bonus bits to Tetris that you can't get unless you spend any money. It'd be, it'd be, like, it'd be like, you know, buying extra money in Monopoly. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, yeah, I, uh, oh no, I'm out of cash. I'm actually going to buy a thousand pounds of Monopoly money for, for two quid. I mean, this is just not, this is out of order. It's absolute bullshit. And, uh, and yeah, so we'll get, we'll get Sam Billings on and, and we'll give him some abuse. Also, I know his brother, Tom, who's a, a very, very good cricketer and, World Rackets champion as well, bizarrely. Um, let's get on to actual cricket then. So England versus India. Oh, it's all been kicking off since the last test. So first of all, Nathan Lyon, you know, who's usually a bloke that likes to, you know, keep his mouth closed and keep his opinions to himself. You know, um, I was going to say he's not big headed, but he is. He's actually got a massive, massive head that keeps on getting bigger. Like, you know, that film Mega Mind with Will Ferrell, the blue white guy that's got a head that keeps getting bigger. That's Nathan Lyon. And, um, he praised the pitch from the last test. He said, we play on seeming wickets around the world and get bowled out for 47, 60. Nobody ever says a thing. But as soon as it starts spinning, everyone in the world seems to start crying about it. I don't get it. I'm all for it. It was entertaining. The best thing about this test match that just passed is that England went in with four seamers. I don't need to say any more. Classic Nathan Lyon. He then goes on to say more. He goes, I don't need to say any more. I was up all night watching it. It was absolutely brilliant. I'm thinking about bringing the curator out to the SCG. Um, so look, he has defended the wicket. I don't want to talk too much about pitches because I'm so bored of talking about them. Although inevitably, we'll probably end up talking about the, the one in the next test sometime next week. And there's probably some good points in there that I do actually agree with. But this is just Nathan Lyon planting a, a sort of seed a mental seed ahead of the ashes at the end of the year isn't it Daniel yeah I mean that just tells you everything you need to know about Australia that right at the forefront of their mind games they've sent out Nathan Lyon to open the batting um, it's just it's just drivel it's wonderful drivel I, I I kind of love it because it sort of gets the juices going for nine months hence when the uh, the womb of banter will explode and give birth to the first ball at Brisbane <laughs> in a hail of nonsense. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it, if it started like this now, the other thing you know is they're not going to prepare a pitch just for Nathan Lyon. They've got one of the best <laughs> bowling attacks in the world. Has, it, has he looked in his dressing room? There's Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, James Pattinson, all lining up to bowl. I think if if they saw the Emmerdabad pitch, <laughs> suddenly in Australia, they'd be, they'd be slightly peeved. And I think we'd also actually have a chance of winning because I think Joe Root's a more effective spinner on those surfaces than Nathan Lyon. Oh. I think, I think you'll find his bowling average in India is considerably better than... <laughs> than, uh, than, than you said, this yeah, is you good, said Dan. We're, fu- we're throwing punches back at the Australians already. This yeah. is good. Good work, Daniel. Good work. Thank good you. Work. I mean, Finney, what did you make of it in your experience of Australian cricketers? Just a bit of mind games from Nathan Lyon? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to happen between now and that isn't it but I suppose there's every person that plays the game in the particular facet of the game that they do they'd love the pitch to favour them every single game like 
I'd love to pick up the Edge Baston pitch from um, 2015 Ashes series. And if I could just roll that out in every single game that I played in, I'd absolutely love to bowl on that all the time. So it's no wonder that Nathan Lyon wants to play on one that spins from ball one every time he bowls because he'd take a lot of wickets. And if you spoke to every batsman in the world, they want to play on one that looks like the M1 and you can see your face in it so the ball doesn't move laterally. So, um, yeah, I think a little bit of mind games, but also maybe um, maybe a little bit of wishful thinking as well there from Nathan. So what does a wicketkeeper want? I mean, you've mentioned batters, you mentioned bowlers. Wicketkeepers are such yeah, a weird... Yeah, specialist thing. keeper. What, what would Jack Russell want? Well, it depends if you're a lazy wicketkeeper. If that's the case, you'd want an absolute road so the ball never got to you. So you just wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to do anything. The batsman would just smash it every time. Um, but then the ones that are really mad, I'd say, would want a pitch that's probably even worse than the one in our Medabad. So it goes up and down and then they can get the highlights reel out at the end of the game like so many of them like to. Anything that would produce a uh, good Instagram post for them, I'd imagine, of them diving down the leg side or something, yeah, would be the order of the day for a really mad wicketkeeper. I guess it depends what form you're in as well, because we've all played cricket matches and you know that once you drop one catch, you do not want the ball to come your way. So as a wicketkeeper, if you are just catching flies at the moment, you, you want a nice green seamer, you can dive around and you like you say, good Instagram photo, but... As soon as you drop one, you just want, oh, please, if they could just edge it to first slip instead of down the wicketkeeper's gloves, that, that, that'd be absolutely ideal. You must have been in that situation, Finney, where you've dropped a catch and you're going, I do not want the ball to come my way. Or where you're stood at sort of long off, long on at the end of a one day going, well, this is definitely coming my way at some point. There's a couple that spring to mind. I think there's one, um, if they come to you at long on or long off, you actually don't really mind it because they tend to be pretty simple. Um, you just have to make up a bit of ground and you see it all the way. It's the ones where there's a bit of depth perception, which is hard. And I, you know, I did want the ball to come to me at this scenario, um, but it was, I was a deep square leg for the Ashes test in 2013 at Trent Bridge. And um, I think Australia needed about 15 to win. Graham Swan was bowling and uh, Brad Haddon, I think, top edge one to deep square leg. I came sprinting in, thought I'd made up the ground, got my hands to it. It went straight through my hands for a one bounce four. And I was just lying there on the ground. And that's when you do lie there, when the crowd's behind you, the ashes are on the line. Oh. And you just, you just want the ground to just open up or there to be like an earthquake of some sort and you just fall straight down the crack and, and disappear into oblivion and never come back. Um, that was one instance, but then probably the costliest ever catch that I've dropped was probably against Essex for Middlesex in 2018 or 17, uh, 17, I think. And Toby Rowland Jones was like on the cusp of playing in the England team. And I, somehow I'd been practicing fielding the slips a lot. So I found myself in like one of the early stages of the game fielding at second slip. And we're playing with this pink ball. It's like a bit, it's a bit dark and dingy. And yeah, get your excuses in now. Oh yeah. There, there are plenty of excuses <laughs> knocking around. And yeah, Toad bowled this lovely ball to Nick Brown. He's nicked it. And I've just seen this like flash of pink come at me, sort of palmed it over the bar. <laughs> it went for a couple of runs, I think. And I think at the time he was on 40, maybe, I think. Yeah, he, he, like he was in, but Tobe was bowling nicely, found the edge, dropped it. He went on to score 240 
which was just <laughs> catastrophic. It was horrible. And for like for a long time after that point, I just wake up in the middle of night with just this flash of pink coming towards you, like this bright pink flash coming towards you, and you'd be like, oh, oh no, I'm still dropping it in my sleep. <laughs> would, it, would it be safe to say, Finney, that you and Toby Roland-Jones are kind of vying for the same spot in the England team? So I suppose if Toby, you know, didn't take that many wickets, then um, sort of... <laughs> Wow. Put you up and pecking well, that's order. That's a very a bit. good point, Daniel, actually. It's yeah, so I mean, very, very cynical way of looking at things, <laughs> Daniel, I'd say. But I, <laughs> incidentally, he ended up getting picked the next week and went and took, took his five for at the Oval, I think, that following week. So it was obviously the motivation that I'd given him mm. by missing out on that wicket and the overs in his legs that I'd provided him by letting that innings go on that long that then meant that he was that successful in his first test match the following week. So I do like to take a little bit of the credit for for that particular success story. In many ways, you should probably add at least three or four of those wickets to your own tally, I would think. That would that would be very handy. Well, he only wants one to drop below a bowling average of 30 in mm. test cricket. So if Toby could just give him one of those wickets, one of the crap ones. I look at all those drop catches people dropped off me over the years. I think, you bastards, <laughs> you've cost me. You've cost me my <laughs> bowling average there. <laughs> Can you remember anyone dropping an absolute sitter off you for England? Because that's the one that cost you your bowling average. Yeah, I'm not going there because I'd probably get a text <laughs> message from these people saying, you, you bowled dross that day, you didn't deserve to get a wicket. But yeah, there's, there are a few that I remember that I'm like, oh, it would have just been so handy if they'd have stuck. But I don't think I'm willing to go public with those just yet. Catherine, Catherine Brunt, the women's cricketer, opening bowler, commented quite a lot of women's cricket, a fair bit of time there. And... I don't think I've ever been in a hotel bar when she hasn't found somebody who dropped a catch off her walking past and she will remind them of it. And there were always sitters, always, apparently, you know, <laughs> diving one hand at a backward point from a fiercely hit cut sitter. And it's cost her this. She, she, does, she has no trouble at all berating people. Do you remember them? Because she actually she remembers them all, it seems. Yeah, bowlers almost, uh, I mean, I don't, but I'm sure there's a few bowlers out there who keep a list and then if you're on a bad run of games and the coach comes to you and says, well, you, you're averaging 40 over the course of the last four games and you go, well, if these idiots could catch, I'd average 25. So <laughs> <laughs> there's, there is a lot of that in cricket that goes on where, well, if I hadn't got this stinker and been given out LBW and caught behind when I obviously didn't hit it, then I'd be averaging 60 and I'd be one of the best in the world. <laughs> there is a lot of that in cricket because there's so much speculation about decisions and you rely so much on other people to perform their job in order to help you that there is a lot of that that goes on i i like to think that i've been left stranded on naught or one not out a good number of times that could have obviously materialized into far more substantial innings um, that would drag my batting average up in the uh, the lofty heights of the mid-teens, I'd say. Yeah, you, you were seeing it so well, but you know, sadly your partner got out, but you were seeing it big that day. You were seeing Tim Murta, I'm sure he used to run me out on purpose just so, <laughs> um, just so it would keep me behind him in the batting order. But uh, the tables have turned now. Now he can't see because he's 40. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you weren't willing to call out any England cricketers for dropping catches, but Tim Murtagh, he's fair (laughs) game. I always remember vividly Ryan Sidebottom because I always think as a bowler, like when I play my club cricket, I'm a crap fielder. I've dropped so many catches and let so many balls through my legs that when it happens off me, I can't really get angry because I'll be doing it an over later. 
But Ryan Sidebottom had no such problem. Ryan Sidebottom used to just shout at fielders in the England team, like just absolutely gun for them. And then you'd watch him next over, just like fall over, take a big divot out the ground, let a ball roll through his legs. He didn't mind at all. He was more than happy to just call you out for it. Um, let's move on to more fallout from England versus India. Like I say, it's been kicking off. It's been kicking off. So this was Alex Hartley, England women's uh, cricketer, who was at the moment, uh, not the England team, but commentating. So England got spanked in two days, as we know, in the last test match. And Alex put a tweet out saying, nice of the England boys to get this test match finished just before England women play tonight, basically. And she's commentating on BT Sports, so she advertised that you can watch it. And, uh, well, the uh, the sensitive male egos were were not best pleased. And and the fans as well. She got a bit of a, an angry reaction from some England cricket fans. And she got a bit of an angry, angry reaction from... England cricket players, uh, Rory Burns replied saying, very disappointing attitude considering all the boys do to support the women's game. Uh, I saw Ben Duckett reply. Our good friend Daniel Isabel Westbury, brilliant journalist and ex-cricketer, she weighed into the debate. Everybody had an opinion on it. Daniel, out of order from Alex Hartley or sensitive male egos? Well, I don't, uh, it, I don't think it was out of order from Alex Harley. I think if a bloke had written that tweet during the cricket season, the captain of a second eleven or something, and said, well, good of the uh, England boys to lose in two days, so I'll actually get a full team out tomorrow, um, everybody would have laughed it off and thought, oh, it's absolutely fine. So poor old Alex is supposed to, to go to different standards because she's played for England. So she's supposed to be in it with solidarity for the England team, even though she's not got a contract. She's not turning out for them. And her whole, you know, her broadcasting career is built on the fact that she's very jovial. You don't take everything that she says seriously. She sees the funny side of the game. And that that's who she is. And I thought, I thought it was a bit oversensitive. I thought it was a little bit troubling as well. I think, you know, after all the boys do for the for the girls' team, I think actually that, you know, I, I watch a lot of women's cricket and commentate a lot of it. And the Australian men are a lot more engaged, it seems to me, in what their team does. I mean, partly, you know, with the start being married to Alyssa Healy, then, you know, there's, there's, there's a bit of that. So that comes to the fore. So maybe that's what you remember more. But actually, I think Australian cricket has got better at, at melding the men's and women's teams than England has. And I thought the reaction to her was over the top. By the same token, I can understand that if you are in a dressing room where you've just been rolled over in two days, you're going to be a bit sensitive because you take your your profession very very seriously. So I can sort I can see it from from that point of view. But I I'm I'm in Camp Hartley to be honest with you. I think. Well, Whatever this is, is be... Camp Hartley. <laughs> camp Hartley sounds like the, a crap summer camp that you might go to in America. Bit. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting because um, obviously Dan, you know, you you come from it from a slightly more you know journalistic side. So Finney. What was your take on it as somebody that's been in dressing rooms after after crushing defeats? And uh, and wh- wh- how would you feel if that tweet had been aimed at the England side when you were in the England side? Oh, but I think directly after a game, you're obviously hypersensitive to the situation. Um, when you go into a dressing room, when you have lost, especially in the manner that they did against India last week, it's it's a very solemn quiet place like no one said no one's saying anything everyone sat there reflecting annoyed frustrated with themselves first and foremost at the things that they didn't do during the game in order to influence it so 
it's very emotionally charged. And sometimes you do feel like you're under attack from the outside. I remember when I played in the England team and it was the Flower Strauss era, we were specifically told to not be robots to the press, but to not really let them within the four walls of the dressing room because that was the most sacred place and the only opinions really that mattered. And I mean, social media wasn't as prevalent then as it is now. So, you know, Twitter was around, but it wasn't to the extent that it is now and um, and the amount of people that comment and feel like it's okay to... Um, and not saying Alex Hartley was in this. I mean, this is the general public. People come out and comment and get stuck into you. So you're very sensitive to reading what people say about your performance because you know that you've stuffed up. Like, you know, you're sat there in the dressing room. You're very aware. It's not as though people are oblivious to the fact that they've not played well or, or the team's not performed well. And, and you're embarrassed about that. So um, I, I'd imagine that it would have been an emotional reading of the tweet from Rory Burns and an initial emotional reaction to it because you do feel under attack when you lose in that manner and you're reading the press and you're reading what people say. You feel you feel as though people are out to get you. Um, and I'd imagine it was more in that frame of mind that he tweeted that out as opposed to it being meant in a malicious way, I think. I mean, I didn't see them replying to fans who are really annoyed by what's been going on. And it's the fact that Alex's tweet was singled out. And that suggests to me that there is some sort of um, link, you know, between the men's and women's team. They feel like they're in it together on one level. Because otherwise, why single out Alex's tweet rather than any of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of tweets that are being sent by lots of people about how England have done very well? That one had touched a nerve. And... I mean, I, I don't, I, I, that's why I find it a slightly more problematic thing because I think, you know, turn a blind eye to it. We know what Alex is like rather than make an instance of it. You know, for what we're trying to do is keep things cohesive and keep things together. Actually, don't draw attention to how annoyed you are with Alex's tweet. In fact, don't draw attention to any tweets because now's not the time to be looking at tweets, is it? Yeah, and, and, and this is, uh, from my you know, very commercial radio background, and uh, you know, I am a I am a capitalist whore essentially. I got Alex's tweet as basically the same way that when this podcast goes out, we all tweet saying a new podcast out, and I tweet occasionally saying, you know, I'm on Radio X from 10 a.m. and if I'm doing any podcast, I tweet, oh, you can listen to me on this podcast. That's part of the job now, social media. That's how you advertise that you're doing work. She had to put a tweet out to say, you know, make sure you watch the game later on on BT Sport, she found what she thought was a funny sort of Twitter angle, which is what Twitter is largely about, is trying to be relatively funny in as many characters as you can. And probably, I'm sure if you asked her, she, if you, she could turn back the time, she wouldn't write the tweet. I'm sure if Rory Burns could turn back time, he wouldn't write the tweet either. I don't think anyone covered themselves in glory. It's a bit of a non-story. They're not the first two people to say something they regret on social media. And Alex Hartley is certainly not the first person to cop any flack on social media, uh, which we'll come to a bit later on, by the way. <laughs> Zero ducks given is in somebody's crosshairs this week as well. But uh, a, a bit of a, I guess, unsavoury thing to see. We don't want to see current England players falling out with recent England players, no matter whether it's men, women or whatever. 
Well, I have to say, whilst we're talking about this topic, that Alex Hartley's tweet, it clearly worked because uh, England's women went on to, to win the game and win the one-day international series, Daniel. A, a great victory against New Zealand. It was fantastic, actually. I mean, fortunately, they were able to play a couple of games with crowds in as well, which I hadn't experienced at all during the English summer. Uh, that's changed, incidentally, with the latest lockdown in New Zealand. So the remaining games will all be played behind closed doors. But yes, it was a good, a good victory for England. Uh, Tammy Beaumont, scoring 220-odd runs with a, getting out just the once, has moved to the very top of the ICC ODI rankings. But they, they lost the third game to a brilliant innings from Amy Satterthwaite who became one of those rare things, a woman with 4,000 runs in one-day cricket. So there was a lot there was a, there was a lot of good that came out of, uh, of that one-day tour for England. I mean, they struggled to get much cricket, if you remember. Mm. In the summer, it was uh, really difficult. It got really close to the wire, and then the West Indies came over. They'd won 10 in a row when they won their second game to clinch the series, but that winning streak has now come to an end. But I think, yeah, all in all, positive. Nat Siver also shone. And uh, England were clearly the better side. Three Nat, games. Nat Siver, who is basically I am a huge, uh, a huge fan of because she played for my beloved Stoke Dabberton, my cricket club that I play for, and she scored a stupid amount of runs. I, when we were playing cricket, the uh, the Stoke ladies team would go out and we'd we'd get the scorecard come through at the end of the day, and it would be they won by ten wickets, and Nat Siver scored two hundred again. She used to just score a silly amount of runs at, at youth level. So yeah, well done, Nat. Still representing Stoke Dabberton at the international level. Um, and uh, speaking of delicate male egos as well, we, we we can't ignore one of the best stories of the last few weeks, which is Dale Stain's midlife crisis. So Dale Stain was was playing was playing in the PSL, and he's grown some long hair. Dale Stain, he's got shoulder length hair at the moment, and uh, I think he looks quite good with it personally. Anyway, he's got shoulder length hair, and the commentator Simon Dool was uh, was commentating on the game. And Dale Stane popped up on the screen with his long hair and Simon Dool referred to it as a mid-life crisis haircut. And they carried on and there was a bit of a chuckle in the commentary box and everybody moved on. Dale Stane. Now, this is going to shock you, a South African without a sense of humour. Who would have thought that such a thing existed? No way. Um, Dale Stane nibbled, as we call it. He, he, he jumped on social media and he said, which commentator said I had a mid-life haircut? And he, and he wasn't very happy. I mean, let's first of all just make it very clear that this story is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely wonderful that Dale Stain, the angriest fastballer I've ever seen in my life, gets so offended by somebody jokingly saying he had a midlife crisis haircut. Uh, what did you make of it, Daniel Norcross? Well, I thought it was actually a bit out of character because Dale Stain's one of the loveliest people I've ever come across he's always really accommodating really helpful and really lovely and um and, and he, he said that he didn't like commentators commenting on people's appearance at all and of course i've got a real twitch on that because essentially it's what i do most of the time when you're on radio you sort of have to you have to describe them you know if paul sterling is waddling to the crease to bowl some of his filthy off breaks you are going to say it's you know slightly in the manner of a straw chewing yeoman farmer um, you know, and then when he crashes the ball to the boundary, you're going to go, "Wow, bloody hell!" I mean, this is, isn't cricket marvelous. It's for all shapes and sizes, uh, <laughs> because that's that's obviously that's part of what you do. So I thought it was like wildly wildly oversensitive again. And I think I think it must be lockdown. I think it's making everyone twitchy. 
I mm. think the whole atmosphere on Twitter has gone completely berserk. That said, did you see the picture of Simon Dool when he was about 32? Talk about midlife crisis. Absolutely severe, incredible earrings, horrendous haircut. I mean, I'd be happy to analyse Simon Dool over Dale Stane's haircut any day of the week. <laughs> we need to get a sit-down between these two and, and Dale Stane can go over some old photos of Simon Dool. I would love it if Dale Stane... I always think with social media, as much as you can, join in on the joke. If I was Dale Stane, I'd rock up at the next game on a motorbike with an earring. Yeah. <laughs> just go... <laughs> Just exactly. go full midline leather jacket exactly. with, with, a, with a banjo as well. You know, yeah, you're, yeah, just, yeah. you're just taking up the banjo and uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 and carrying a copy of you know something like Alain Recherche de Tom Perdue in your left hand. It, yeah, a beret, a, <laughs> yeah, a girlfriend, yeah. a girlfriend who's half your age. Just That's go it. or go twice whole. your age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> proper proper midlife crisis, Finny. I mean, you know, I I, I I'll be honest with you. I guess because you played for England so young that when we first started doing this podcast. And I, I, I Googled you to check out your stats and I saw on Crick Info that you were 31. I mean, this the nicest way possible. I thought you were older than that. I think because you've been on our screens for so long playing for England. I was like, oh, Finney's only 31. I was like, oh, great. This would be an easy podcast. We're getting back in the England team in about six months at this rate. Um, any signs of a midlife crisis, Finney? Not just yet. I'm sort of living my 20s and early 30s in reverse because when I was 20 and 21, I was... Well, from the ages of 20 to 21 to about 27, I um, spent literally 12 months a year playing cricket for England. And then since then, I've spent a bit of time injured and a lot of time playing PlayStation and training in and around that. Um, so it's, I've almost done everything in reverse. So if you could call that a midlife crisis, then yeah. But I've not grown a ponytail. I haven't bought myself a convertible car I haven't traded my girlfriend in for someone that's 10 years younger yet. So, yeah, we'll um, <laughs> see see if I ever reach that stage, but it seems to be going strong at the moment, comfortable with myself, I'd say. You are on this podcast, though, Finny, and um, that feels quite midlife crisis to me. It does, slightly, yeah. I know <laughs> when, it, when I get on this once a week and I'm looking at you there with your... Uh, with your cigarette and your glass of wine, I'm thinking that's not too far away for me. But yeah, I, I've got all that to look forward to, though. That's what the thing. I sit there looking at you with utter jealousy, thinking, just <laughs> look how comfortable you are having been through that phase. Yeah, Grand Marnier now. I just finished the gym and um, a little bit of Grand Marnier. What is it coming up to 20 past five and it'd be wine in about a quarter of an hour? Yeah, I should point out to people listening to this podcast that Daniel Norcross does genuinely get shit-faced throughout the recording of it. <laughs> and it's, it's wonderful. I just watch him just neck, and it's never the same drink twice. They're, it's a different drink. It's got like a conveyor belt of drinks next to him. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. It's not often that I'm on a podcast or on a recording where I'm the least alcoholic person on the group, but, but here we are. If um, I did the generation game, honestly, on the conveyor belt, it'd be, yeah, yeah, that's a rusty yeah, nail. Yeah, that's yeah, the Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. the timber here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a cuddly toy uh, well whilst we're on the topic of age as well so it was um it was Shahid Afridi's birthday this week happy birthday Shahid and there was a bit of confusion on social media because nobody quite knows how old he is there was there was a lot of confusion because he's got the age that he said he was on Twitter he also has got the age that it says he is on Crick Info and then he's got a completely different age that he's got in his autobiography. And they vary from 41 to 46, which is not a small leap. Very, very bizarre, the whole thing. 
Now, I wonder if this is a thing that cricketers will plan is to lie about their age, because now with these lucrative contracts up for grabs, it's, it's beneficial to, to be younger than you are. Well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I will address that point first before telling you the greatest story of oldism. I was told by Artif Nawaz, who commentated on Test Match Special last year, uh, that part of the reason of this confusion is that some years ago, I don't know if it's still the case, in Pakistan, you had to pay for your kids to go to school, a, very, a nominal amount. Uh, but if you put, if you had three kids and they all went into the same class, then you only had to pay once. So what would tend to happen is you'd store up kids that were close in age, like, say, eight, five, and three. And then you'd put all three of them in the four-year-old class or five-year-old class, right? So the one who was eight was going through under 19 level, age 22, 23, you know, absolutely huge with three kids and the, the whole shebang, you know. And, and, and Divorced a, twice, got a mortgage. Yeah. But it was, it was actually quite tricky for the ones who were, who were the younger ones who were rolled in. So this was actually a phenomenon that existed in Pakistani society in certain parts of the country, you know, probably not in like Lahore and Karachi, but maybe in the, in the northern provinces and what have you, out in the countryside. So uh, th there's a bit of that to it. But I am reminded when I hear Afridi's story of the story of the great Jeanne Calamont, who I'm sure you're very familiar with. Oh, yeah. Who is the um, repeat. Finney talks of little else, don't you, Finney? Oh, yeah. All the time. Well, she's she's born even before Betty Snowball, my favourite woman cricketer. Um, Jean Calmont was born in 1875 in Ow, right? And was reputed to be 122 when she died. But there's a certain amount of confusion about this because the, the rumour, the very strong rumour, is that actually the person who was pretending to be Jean Calmont, aged 122, was in fact, I think it was her youngest daughter, who... <laughs> was actually only about 83 when she died. So the great thing was that she was like posing as a 100-year-old when she was sort of 60. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a proper Mrs. Overall thing from Acorn Antiques going on. But anyway, I say, I say that while saying that the case is still open, so that is the, that is the, the rumour. But as, as for ageing cricketers, I mean, you, you just love it. You've got Wilf Rhodes at 49, you've got WG Grace at 52. Uh, Afridi could go on until he's until he's 60, couldn't he? I mean, what's stopping him? I know. He's, he just bowls absolute leg spin darts at like 70 miles an hour and, and, and tees off. We've spoken already at length on this that Finney chose of all the things to do in cricket, the worst one, because bowlers break down very, very soon. So you're going to have to get the nets and work on your batting, Finney, if you want to go full boom, boom, Afridi. I have been doing that last few weeks. Yeah, we're back in the tent at Middlesex. We have a tent, the grass wicket's covered by a tent. So... I've been in there and making a point to try and slog the spinners out the ground just to show that I can flex my muscles when it comes to scoring quick runs in a T20 or the 100. <laughs> Graham Gooch's average got massively bigger after the age of 30s. A lot of players, I mean, Jack Hobbs scored 100, 9900s after the age of 40, Finney. I think the batting side of your game is going to develop like you just can't even begin to believe. Say that Jack Hobbs statistic again. Jack Hobbs scored 99 of his 199 hundreds, I believe, after the age of 40. <laughs> That's obscene. <laughs> That's Just when he got to 40, he felt really good about his game because, yeah, I know where my scoring shots yeah. are now. Yeah, I'm starting to feel good here. Pitch has got a bit better. And he did miss four years of his career to the First World War, which we mustn't forget. That does also tie in nicely to our theory from the first podcast that all old cricket is crap because you couldn't score 99 hundreds <laughs> after the age of 40. <laughs> 
in the modern era. Although George Foreman, the greatest old man comeback of all time, he basically he basically sat out of boxing for about ten years and then came back and and came heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, what was he? Nearly fifty, and he went twelve rounds with Evander Holyfield in the nineties. I mean, that is an old man. I guess fighting is just one thing you never lose. In fact, I'd rather get in, if you had to get in a fight in the pub. I'd rather fight a bloke who was my age, even if he had tattoos and was absolutely shredded and twice the size of me. If he was my age, I'd rather fight him than like a 60-year-old bloke who's seen it all. Oh, he'd... Oh, uh, yeah, I know, you know, know what you mean. They'd know, I mean, they'd... I, I, I've never, ever been in a fight, weirdly. <laughs> you know, I've you never, must have I've... been punched. How has no. Dan, no one ever punched Daniel? Oh, Moore? well, no, I've been punched, but that's, you know, by parents and things like that. You know, it was the 70s. Punched, beaten, whipped, caned, um, you know, strung up upside down, uh, <laughs> thrown at me, all that sort of thing. It was a hell of a Tuesday night, wasn't it? Yeah, I've had, I've had my mouth taped up by John Simpson in Hong Kong. We were in duct tape while my arms are tied behind my back. I, I, I'm used to having terrible things take place to me, but no, I've never been in a fight. The nearest I got was when somebody ripped my glasses off my, my face because the girl I was with at the time had, had said something profane to them from a distance on New Year's Eve. And uh, I spent the next two minutes negotiating to get my glasses back. While I say, yeah, I think she's terrible. I would never have said that. No, if you were to take it out on her. <laughs> so, no, I've, I've never had a fight in my life. That's amazing. Well, they, it's, it, it started with the least manly discussion of how to make seafood crepes, and it's gone full circle. Uh, Finney, you ever been in a fight? Ever been in a bust-up? No, it's, it's not in my character. I'm afraid to be that abrasive. So, yeah, I've um, managed to avoid ever being in a confrontation that's led to anything other than a couple of very, very stupid jibes at each other that are pretty pointless. So yeah, never, never actually been in a fight. No. Good. That face is that face of yours, Finney. That's what's selling this podcast. So we can't, well, this nose to... would be in a bit of trouble if it did get in a fight. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It was amazing. I got punched in the nose the other night. The bloke was in the pub next door. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, now... He's got a perfectly symmetrical face, hasn't he, Finney? I've only he just does. noticed it. I'm gazing at it now. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Right. You're making me feel uncomfortable. Can I turn my screen on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sam Billings is on Twitch and Stephen Finn needs to get on OnlyFans and Daniel Norcross will be Daniel Norcross will be asking for his mum's credit card to, to put all the money that he can down. And that moves us on to social media. Thank you, as always, for getting involved on Twitter and Instagram at ZeroDucksPod, at ZeroDucksPod. And we are on TikTok, of course, but we still have no idea what we're doing with TikTok, but it's there if you want it, at ZeroDucksPod. And this week was a big week for cricket on social media as Virat Kohli became the first cricketer ever to surpass 100 million followers on Instagram. 100 million. And here we are at Zero's Ducks Pod with 716 followers on Twitter and a few hundred on Instagram. But we're catching up with you, Virat Kohli, mate. If I was you, I'd be very nervous. I'd be looking over my shoulder constantly. Uh, thank you very much as well to two brilliant Twitter pages that you should definitely follow if you're on Twitter, at Cricket Shouts and at Cricket Shithousery. Two very funny Twitter pages, normally just videos of club cricketers embarrassing themselves, which happens every single Saturday throughout the summer in the UK and all over the world, at Cricket Shouts and at Cricket Shithousery, uh, who have been giving a bit of love to the podcast this week and, uh, and retweeting the podcast and stuff like that, which is very, very nice of those chaps over there. Now let's get to your tweets. And the very first tweet we have got, is from Mark, and he's not very happy. I mean, Alex Hartley thinks that she's had a tough week. Mark tweeted us, he said, at Zero Ducks Pod, your name is a dreadful and unfunny pun. Puts me off listening. You don't give someone a duck in cricket anyway. 
so it doesn't even work as a double entendre. My question for the team, can we come up with something better? I like how he said we there, like he was a part of the discussion. <laughs> uh, hey, look, well, no, our listeners are, aren't they? They're, they're, they are all part of the discussion. They, they have ownership, Toby. And well, they're, they're entitled to make us think and question our choices. Well, I mean, look, you it was your this. idea, Zero Ducks Given. I just went along with it. I think that's maybe, you know, why I'm getting more defensive than you, Daniel. I mean, I mean, you say that the listeners have ownership. And look, I appreciate everyone that listens to this podcast and I love them dearly. But you know that thing where, say this podcast won an award one day, which is, let's be honest, a long way off at the moment. But, but go with me on this. And we went up for our award and they would do that thing of thank you very much, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I would thank you both and Sal and blah, 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 blah. And then they always go, and obviously it wouldn't be possible without the listeners. Thing is, it would be possible without the listeners. <laughs> they, they contribute very, they've not contributed once to the show plan. They haven't done any research. I mean, at, at the moment, Sal's doing all the work, I'll be honest with you. Um, but let's go through the some of the other names because Zero Ducks Given. Uh, was the name that we arrived at. But the scary thing is, if you're not a fan of the title, we put a lot of time and effort into coming up with a title. And um, so we had uh, Dwayne Leverockstock and Two Smoking Barrels was one. We've mentioned on the podcast that Daniel Norcross wanted to call it Virat Kohli Ate My Hamster, which I really liked, but we worried there might be legal issues. So then we went for cricketers that are dead so that they can't sue us. We had WG Grace Ate My Hamster, Don Bradman Ate My Hamster, uh, we had dangerous follow-through in reference to Finney always falling over when he bowled, which we actually we haven't talked about Finney falling over all the time. We, we must come to that at some point. Sandpapering over the cracks, but uh, Finney was wary of slagging off the Aussies too much in the title. Pocket full of dirt, pie chuckers, going a bit thin up top, nervous 30s, Finn's law. When you put it all together, actually, Zero Ducks Given is quite a good title compared with the other crap that we came up with. A lot of dross there, isn't there? <laughs> you say that. You say that. We could have got around the Virat Kohli issue by saying Arjuna Ranatunga didn't eat my hamster or the only thing Mike Gatting didn't eat was my hamster. Yeah. And and he rejected out of hand Edo Brandes' biscuit barrel, which um, which I, I was I was out. I thought I was onto something there with Edo Brandes' biscuit barrel. This, but... this is what we're working with, okay, Mark? So, look, I'm sorry for not having the title, but uh, your question, can we come up with something better? The, the answer is we tried and we didn't do a very, very good job. To <laughs> very quickly, before we go, depending on when you are listening to this podcast, either England are about to begin or halfway through, or if it's anything like the last test, we've already been beaten very, very quickly by the Indians. Ahead of the fourth test match, and our predictions went terribly last week, Daniel Norcross, what's going to happen in the fourth test match? A prediction, please. England are going to lose. Um, the pitch <laughs> is going to be... Quite similar. The ball won't be quite as dramatic because it's a red ball, but uh, England will lose unless there's one terrifically good innings which can change the game because by making it a turny, weirdy, spinny, lovely track, it does mean that a moment of genius, probably from a batter in the England team, does give them a chance. Stephen Finn, predictions, please. Yeah, well, I actually think it's still a very interesting test match in the context of, one, the series. England can still draw the series. And I know that it doesn't feel as though that is the case given the last couple of weeks, but there's still an opportunity. I think there's still test match, not careers, but opportunities there to really play for in this test match. So I think that the motivation is most definitely going to be there. So I think that they'll have spent a lot of time working on the things that they needed to try and change from the last test match, um, particularly 
footwork of the batsman, probably I'd imagine playing another spinner as well. <laughs> They're probably going to do that. So yeah, I'm optimistic for England this week. I think there's a lot to play for over the last few years when they've had to pull a performance out the bag to draw a series, to win a series when it's on the line. They have done that. So I'm optimistic um, and I think that England can win and I think that they can uh, level the series, which I think would be quite a fitting way to finish the tour. Daniel, I will let you get back to your Grand Marnier and seafood crepes, which is a tragic evening, even by the low standards that you, that you set yourself. <laughs> it's it's uh, as good as it gets right there, I tell you. <laughs> um, and Stephen Finn, I'll let you get back to watching Sam Billings play with himself, or whatever he's doing. I don't know what you're up to this evening, but uh, I don't ask. I'll let you enjoy your baked beans on toast and, uh, and watching Sam Billings. You're two very, very confused individuals. Lovely to speak to you, chaps. I'll, I'll speak to you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.